Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. I wanted to solely focus on the gospel lesson today, but then um, with all of the Christmas stuff on the radio and stuff, I started to hear the Micah chapter 5 read during different Christmas stuff, and it got in my head, and I kept thinking about it, and I just had to jump off this diving board instead of uh, the Luke for today. Um, it's so interesting and I don't know like what growing up recently, what does it mean to you? But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me. One who is to be ruler in Israel. Like, isn't that a weird Bible verse? It's like, what do you mean? O Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans of Judah. Like. Everyone knows Jesus is born in Bethlehem. It's an important place, right? Well, it turns out that Bethlehem was so little, it was so insignificant, that like in other Old Testament books where, you know, your guys' favorite Old Testament books, where it's lists of names and numbers for just extended chapters, uh, all of, on those lists, they don't list Bethlehem. Because it's so small and insignificant. You know, they, of course, Jerusalem's on there. You know, Bethel's on there. All, you know, all the big ones. Not Bethlehem. And then there's, and, you know, maybe this is uh, maybe too hot of a take, but 
you know, uh, a lot of questions that I get from people, and they're um, excellent questions, a lot of excellent questions that I get from, you know, you guys when I'm talking with you in private or whatever, um, sometimes they tend to do with, well, what if blank didn't happen? Or what if this happened this way? You know, I don't know if it's because you all grew up reading what if comics, you know, like uh, what if, uh, you know, uh, Captain America uh, was, you know, uh, began by, you know, the Axis instead of the Allies. I don't know. But here's the thing. The question was posed to me. What if God didn't choose Mary to carry the Savior Jesus? What, what would have happened differently? And I think um, what's the key, though, here, and I think maybe you've even heard sermons about this before, is that Mary is simply a faithful Galilean young woman. And if she had said no to God, then she would have continued to be a faithful young Galilean woman. But because she's a faithful Galilean young woman, she didn't say no to God. And I think that's the takeaway for today's sermon, is that faithful men and women say yes to God. However, what I don't want to distract from in the story of Mary, and especially the story of Elizabeth, is that God chooses insignificant, small places to do his work. Because we, we hear in Mary's excellent hymn that ties together the Old and the New Testament in, the, in a way that has never, ever been done again, that God chooses the lowly and the humble and he raises them up. And he chooses those that are haughty and prideful and he brings them down. Uh, something that's been sticking in my head recently is how he, he sends the rich empty away. And this is where I want to talk about insignificance and significance. I don't think these days we have too much of a problem feeling insignificant. In fact, I think we all think we're pretty great. Yeah? I mean, we pay our taxes, most of us. If we don't, we pay it when the fine comes. Uh, we do stuff in our community. We, we go to the library and we even check out the books. We don't just walk out the front door without scanning them. We do all those things. We're, we're pretty good people, right? But I was reflecting on insignificance and humility and pride. And I was thinking about a time in college when it, I was right in the thick of you know, being obsessed with social media. And I remember doing something that freaked myself out and was a turning point in how I use social media. I remember posting something on Facebook and then 
being freaked out and checking every few minutes how many likes and comments that I got. And when I didn't get enough, I deleted it. I had made a fool of myself. What if I'm not as important as I thought I was? Has that ever happened to you? Is that not the strangest, weirdest thing that only happens these days? I know that I've encountered it a lot and heard it be a voice of frustration among the confirmands that if you're going to post something, it better be perfect and it better get those likes because you got to show that you're more important than other people. And then, you know, when you go out there into the world as an adult, um, your life becomes this thing where you're trying to balance your time management and your effort, and then you disguise it all as being busy. It's tough. It's part of being an adult. But really, at the end of the day, we have to practice admitting to ourselves, maybe we're not that important. Why can't we be like Bethlehem? Why can't we be like Mary? Why can't we be insignificant? Why, does, why do all of the eyes have to be on us? Take, for example, Elizabeth. Not only was she insignificant, but of her own admittance, she really struggled with the fact that God had not given her children. It really, really made her feel not only insignificant in the eyes of others, but it made her feel insignificant before the eyes of God. But we know that is not true because what does God choose to do? God chooses Elizabeth, someone who is, uh, as the scriptures say, barren. And he chooses to give her life, new life, and a child, and not only a child, but a specific child who would point the way to a savior. And he also chooses Mary. He says, Mary, I'm going to give you a son. His name will be Jesus, which means he saves his people from their sin. What do you think, Mary? And she says, yes, of course. Let it be done so, as you've said. An active demonstration of the trust-faith relationship that ought to be imitated by us all. For so she says, generations will call me blessed. And here's where I want to transition to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not a nice place. Take it from me, I've been there. Jerry, I assume you've been there too. Yep. It's not a nice place. It's in the middle of the, uh, what is called the West Bank. Uh, It's in the desert. It's outside the wall of Jerusalem. People there don't have running water. They use the restroom either outside or in a dedicated place that's not in the place that they live. 
it's not a nice place. In fact, while we were there, uh, my brother was giving a presentation at a, uh, you know, a place and we all had to get down because someone started firing a gun, you know? But it's a small, lowly place, and that's where God wants to be. No matter which small, lowly place you find yourself in, it could be Bethlehem in the Middle East, it could be in a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation, a small, lowly place. This is where God chooses to be, and he makes it holy and set apart Because he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to become flesh and dwell among you. And that's what makes it holy. He chose Bethlehem insignificant and he becomes flesh and uh, raises it up. He takes what's low and he makes high. He chooses the Lutheran Church of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to give him my word. And I'm going to send him my son in the sacrament of the altar. And he's going to be with them and dwell with them. And they're going to encounter him there at the table and eat with him. And when they do that, their sins will be forgiven. They'll be given life, salvation, and the strength to keep on going. And that's what's beautiful is we don't have to, even though we make it really cozy and beautiful, God chooses to go to the wilderness. And he chooses to come there again and again, partly to prepare for that last time he'll come, but mostly to, you know, light the candle of love. Right? To be present. And so, what makes a place holy, what makes it set apart, what makes it special, is the presence of God. In the old times, it was in the temple. In the time of Mary and Jesus, catch this, for nine months, the presence of God was wherever Mary walked. She was the Ark of the New Covenant, holding God and what would be the New Testament, the new last and will testament in Christ's blood, in her own self. And so she goes to the house of Elizabeth, and how does Elizabeth respond? I couldn't leave you without telling you, some stuff about this. Mary arrives and she greets Elizabeth and what happens first? The baby leaps in her womb and we later find out that he leaps in her womb for joy. And so when we're encountered with the presence of God, with the presence of Jesus Christ, say here at the table, we respond in joy because he's doing great things in our lives here and now. He's forgiving our sins. He's giving us life. He's giving us salvation. 
But I also wanted to point out when it says, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. I want to freak you out for a second. Turns out the word in Greek is uh, anaphon, which is to intone or chant in a worshipful way. So not only pastor chants, Elizabeth chants too. When she responds in worship of God, her Savior, I thought that was funny. And that is, of course, when we get the, the word O Antiphon uh, for these last seven days of Advent. And finally, um, we get a saying of gratitude, an expression of gratitude. Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall or should come to me? And this is illustrative of how we can respond. Each week, each day that we engage God in his word, that he comes to us in that way, we can say, man, God, who am I that you've come to me? You've become flesh and come to me and come to my house. After you receive communion, saying, man, thank you, Jesus, who am I that I, you just came to me in body and blood and flesh. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And so, um, we join Mary, we join Elizabeth, we join Bethlehem, we join the people of Israel, and we join all Christians today as we await the returning of Jesus Christ. We know he's already come, what, 2,000 years ago at this point? We know he's already come over 2,000 years ago. Man, you guys must have been excited when it was the year 2000. And you're like, oh, it's been over 2,000 years since. Anyways, we join all of those people and we bring ourselves down to a place of humility And we await Jesus to come to us and say, what are you doing at the low table at the feast? Come with me to the head table and he will raise you up on the last day. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.